Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Episode number 119 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast, featuring USA swimmer Michael Chadwick and his father, David Chadwick, is brought to you in part by Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. $38 a month sponsors a child, releases them from poverty, and gives them a hope and a future. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today in Jesus' name. Today's guest on the podcast, Michael Chadwick. He is Team USA swimmer, four-year swimmer at the University of Missouri, 22 All-American honors, and he was a 2016 Olympic trials finalist, just missed qualifying to go swim over at the Olympic Games in Rio. Now he has his eyes and his sights set on Tokyo and the Summer Games two years from now in 2020. Michael is also the son of David Chadwick, who also joins us here on the podcast. And David is a pastor uh, at Forest Hill Church in North Carolina. David has a sports background as well. He played college basketball for the great legendary coach from North Carolina, Dean Smith, back in the late 1960s. He also participated in a Final Four and was a part of the 1971 NIT championship team with the Tar Heels. And David now is a pastor, like I mentioned, at Forest Hill Church. He's also an author of many books, including the one on his former coach, and it's called How You Play the Game, The 12 Leadership Principles of Dean Smith. And I I just really think you guys are going to like this podcast, a father and a son talking about journeying together through sports and most importantly, through faith with Father's Day weekend here. Uh, you know, as we release this podcast, I just thought it would be really cool to have a father-son uh, come on and talk about their journey together. And I think you guys will really like this. Let's get right to this interview. Without further ado, here he is, Team USA swimmer Michael Chadwick, along with his father, David Chadwick, pastor of Forest Hill Church, right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Michael and David, how are you guys? Well, yeah, good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Doing fine. It's great to talk to you both. I'm excited to kind of learn a little more about your journeys. Uh, Michael as a swimmer, David as a basketball player, and certainly a pastor and an author. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. It's the middle of 2018 as we tape this, right in June, halfway to the Tokyo Olympic Summer Games in 2020. Now, you were an Olympic trials finalist back in 2016. You just missed out on Rio. So tell me about your goals your hopes to be in Tokyo and the work you've been doing uh, thus far to prepare for that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, like you said, we're getting close now. I'm about a, a month and a half out from the USA nationals where I'll be uh, trying to qualify for Pan Pacific games and also for world championships next summer. So I, I kind of try to take this uh, year by year kind of thing, because it seems like every year, it is getting a little bit better to the Olympic year, which is so coveted by the you know swimmers and all their um, Olympic athletes. Uh, but you know, Tokyo is going to be here before you know it. Like you said, we're, less, we're about two years out now, and hard to believe that I was standing at Omaha two years ago trying to try out for uh, Rio. And uh, you know, it's all part of my journey, and that didn't work out quite the way I wanted to. But it made me look back and see what's come out of that experience of, of me not making it and uh you know now I, I look back and say this is the best place i could possibly be in uh, especially going into the 2020 games describe in, in a short 
couple of sentences or you know a couple of seconds here just the type of preparation you go through to prepare yourself to compete i got to imagine it's it's pretty pretty uh pretty in depth but tell us about that type that type of preparation yeah it, it, it's you know pretty exhausting it's you know the trick with swimmers is you kind of live on this uh kind of like this bottom level um exhausted training um just not much energy and and um, but it's, it's very unique to our sport that it's like when we, when we paper or rest for our big meet, we come alive and you kind of see who actually is the most talented athlete, not the person who's been going around the best times all season long, but it's the person who can rest and take the paper and then go into the national meet and, and really, uh, you know, try to break a world record or an American record or, or whatever it is. Uh, but for me, that mainly includes about nine workouts a week. Um, I've recently moved out to San Diego, which has been really great. My wife and I, here about two weeks ago and um that it's been amazing to train outside in, in california where often the uh, u.s nationals are going to be in irvine so it's only about an hour and a half north of where i am so it's going to be really nice to you know be training in the place where i'm going to be trying out for the team in about a month and a half david as michael's father um early on did you see swimming greatness in this in this this boy from an early age not at all <laughs> one of the jokes we have in our family is uh, Michael always enjoyed being in the water, whether at the beach or at the summer pool. And we put him in the summer league here near our home just to have him have, him have something to do. But we never saw this giftedness come about. Uh, in fact, uh, I hope Michael doesn't mind me sharing this, but when no, he's yeah, trying out, <laughs> you know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. With the, in his seventh grade, he tried out for the basketball team at his uh, middle school. And, you know, as you alluded to, I played basketball at a pretty high level at North Carolina and my other son is six, nine, and he played division one uh, basketball on a full ride scholarship. So, you know, Michael getting cut at his seventh grade tryouts for the middle school team was just devastating for him. And yet, you know, we trust in God and look at his divine providence. That was what forced him to keep swimming. And then it was about his junior year in high school that we began to see a little bit of success. But Jason, honestly, even into his senior year where he had some wonderful accolades come his way, his times just weren't good enough to be recruited at any major level. And I remember sending out about 15 emails to different swim coaches saying, hey, the kid has some potential. He comes from an athletic family. And I got two responses, and even those two said, but he just doesn't have the collegiate times we're looking for. Um, but Missouri came along at the request of David Marsh, who was Swim Mac Carolina's coach then, who's now working with Michael in San Diego. He told Missouri, this kid I think's got potential. So they offered Michael 20%. I remember Michael came downstairs after talking with the coach of Missouri and saying, Dad, I want to accept what they've offered. At least I can say for the rest of my life, I got a swimming scholarship. I don't have to tell people it was only 20%. And, of course, Jason, he went there. And between his freshman and sophomore years, just something happened to his body. He just got really good um, and then started uh, making the national team and setting records and becoming an All-American. And then he graduated from Missouri as their most decorated swimmer in history with, like, 23 All-American honors. So, he has succeeded beyond anything we could have hoped for, especially as we remember him as a 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old swimmer. So, Michael, was basketball the sport back in the day then? Because obviously your dad playing with UNC, come from a basketball family. Was that the sport you kind of gravitated to early on? I think I wanted it to be. Um, it just didn't come naturally to me. 
I think I think for me, I always, you know, I, there's about a six-year gap between my brother and I, and I watched his career, and I, and I loved what he did, and I always wanted to be kind of in his footsteps a little bit and follow, you know, like what my dad did and what he did, but I just didn't hit my growth spurt until I was in high school, and I was I was pretty lanky. I mean, even now, like if I tried to play basketball with my friend now, I'd, I'd just get knocked around. Michael, um, you were very, you were very lanky. I mean, yeah. You, yeah. You, when you came out of high school, you were six six, one hundred and seventy five pounds. I mean, well, you could turn sideways and like stick a, out your tongue and look like a zipper. That's generous. <laughs> it was more like one hundred and sixty pounds. It was, it was not. It was. It was not a. It was not a frame to be putting on the court for sure. And so I think, I think God used that as a way to say, uh, you know. Yes, this is not a basketball frame, but it's a swimming frame, and I don't think any of us saw that. So it took a reality check, like a seventh grade basketball team cut, as much as it hurt. Um, you know, that pretty much ended my basketball career right there. And so, uh, yes, I tried to balance it for a while, and I, I, I even thought I was decent at some point. I thought I'd be like a decent shooting guard, but I just wasn't coordinated enough. So, you know, different plans, and uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that I, I did have that um, back then to put me where I am now. We're talking to Michael Chadwick, Team USA swimmer, and his dad, David Chadwick, pastor of Forest Hill Church in North Carolina, right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. David, I got to ask you, as a pastor, I usually ask a lot of people that we interview, what was faith like growing up in your home? I got to imagine as a pastor, faith was a very important thing for you and your kids growing up. But tell us about what it was like when Michael was a child and growing up and as you were raising him and your your two other children and being a pastor and what that was like in the Chadwick family back in the day. Well, Jason, I made a commitment early on that if my family failed, my ministry failed. And so as the church grew and we started out with a hundred people, we're now over 6,000 people on a weekend. Um, I just made a commitment that what was most important was being there with my kids and raising them well um, so I tried to create an environment around this home where they knew they were unconditionally loved, but we had parameters. I tried to teach them deep spiritual values that come from the scripture, and I tried to model for them what faith looks like being lived out. Um, and then um, in the church world, I, I gave myself as much as I could to the church, and I just trusted the Lord that he would open any doors he wanted for me to walk through and then allow the church to be as large as he wanted it to be, but I was just not going to fail as a father. So I, I committed myself to my wife. I believe that we're going to be married until we both take our dying death and a uh, breath. And I believe also that uh, these three kids that God has given us needs to need to be aware of how much I love them. And the proof of that is that I'm available to them in their lives. I practice a principle they know about. I talk about it all the time that kids spell love, T-I-N-E, um, that the best fathers are those who practice their presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, instead of just giving presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. And I think as I have written my kids into my calendar and been at most all of their events, whether it's sports or not, um, they know that uh, I really care and I care enough to be there. So I tried to instill faith and values in my kids from a biblical perspective. I tried to place them as the highest priority next to the Lord. And then I lived being there in their lives. And I think all three came out real well. I'm proud of all three. And Michael is just such a great addition to our lives. Uh, he came a little later in our lives. He was a surprise to Marilyn and me, but we couldn't have asked for a better son. Michael, from your perspective, growing up with a dad as a pastor, was it uh, was it tough? Was it hard? Because sometimes I know with my daughter, I'm not a pastor, but I am a, an elder in my church and certainly speaking and things like that now. 
uh, she kind of is like, dad, would you just let me like experience something that my friends are experiencing here or stop being so tough on me? I wonder if you had that experience as a, as a PK, as a pastor's kid. Yeah. You know, I get, I get asked that question a lot. It's just what, what is it like being raised as a, as a PK? And it's kind of a joke among PKs. Like, what is it like to be raised as a PK? And it, it, uh, it, it's not, honestly, I just think it's different. It's not, it's not any, anything that I would say I didn't like or what it was frustrating with. It's just the biggest thing was I had to, the way that I presented myself on a public, you know, and in, in, in public was just different than most people probably had to mm. because I was always just conscious of what, um, how I was presenting myself. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad way for a kid to live or for an adult to live and just being mindful of how they're acting because, Actions do have repercussions, and I think I learned that from a young age. That um, just having that that kind of um, attitude around, it, I think it, I think it just kind of created a um, really really good setup for me. Even now, when I'm on the USA team, just the way I, I make a point to just treat everyone just in the same way, because you never know how it can get back to you or affect you know your family or anyone else. So I, I, honestly, I kind of enjoy I kind of enjoy it in many ways, um, and, I, and I met a lot of people who because they loved my family automatically just <laughs> gravitated toward me. And that's, that's a very unique feeling. Um, and I, and I had a lot of close relationships growing up that I'm really, really thankful for. Um, and, and even that, you know, when I went to school in Missouri, um, one that, one of the things I said was one of the reasons why I went so far away from, from home, you know, uh, was to get out of that kind of realm so I could foster my faith myself and, and kind of find out what I actually believe in. And I do think there's a, there's a, a step that every, uh, Christian and, and also pastor's kid needs to, to take to, to make them, their, their faith their own because I know there was a time and a place where I, it ultimately hit me like this is what I believe in and this is like not, yes it's been taught to me but I also like wholeheartedly believe this um, and I want to live this and so I, I think there is a step that every, every person uh, has to take for that. Michael, everybody goes through trials and everybody goes through you know times that maybe they not necessarily question the Lord or or, you know, deny him, but they're just kind of like, they're in a funk. And I wonder for you, if that experience ever took place when you went to Missouri and you were away for the first time and, you know, not in the confines of, of a home or having a, a pastor and a dad there to turn to, obviously you can call him, but I wonder what that was like for you going to college spiritually. Obviously your dad described in, in a beautiful way how you developed, uh, and you described how you developed into a swimmer in college, but really what that was like spiritually and just personally for you being away for the first time. It, it was, it was hard, but you know, freshman and sophomore year, honestly, I, I worked so hard that swimming success kind of came naturally to me, which, which was a first because in high school, that's just not how it came. And it was almost like every time I swam, I went faster. And so from a spiritual standpoint, I don't know if I really had to lean into it too much because Everything felt so, I was so complacent that I didn't really feel that kind of like, like my spiritual foundation was being rocked. And interestingly, it wasn't until the summer, probably my junior year of college where I really felt that, um, wow, like this is kind of a, kind of a, first time I felt like in a, a little bit of a panic of how do I swim the way I want to swim and also, uh, glorify God in the way I want to glorify Him. And, and I had a little bit of identity, just you know, confrontation, and then this happened to be the year of the Olympics. 
but I had to really come down and, and think like, what, why am I doing this? Who am I doing it for? And it's not that I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong freshman sophomore year, but I kind of described it as a little bit of like a numbness. It's just, I didn't really want to engage that part of my, of, of my spirituality and, and my sport. And, um, and then since then, since I didn't make the team in 2016, God kind of moving me in a, in a direction where in my senior year, right after we went to trial, I met, I met my, uh, my, my wife and, you know, we got, we got engaged and we got married, uh, about six months ago. And it's like things just keep happening in, in a way that's like God's moving me in, in a direction that I wouldn't have ever seen, uh, if you would have asked me where that direction is or like four years ago. So, and Jason, if I could add here, and Michael would probably not say this, but, if he'd made the Olympic team and gone to Rio, he would have never met his wife. Hmm. Uh, he went back to Missouri after that real painful failure. And it was at a party when he went back uh, to Missouri that he met Cassie and they fell in love. And we look at the timeline and there's just no way if he made the team that he would have ever met her and gotten married. So there's a bigger plan that God's overseeing and we trust him in it. That's a that's a great point. Plans for a hope in the future is what comes to my mind from Jeremiah 29, of course. And David, I want to ask you about your playing career a little bit, because I know you wrote a book. It's how you play the game, the 12 leadership principles of Dean Smith. Dean Smith, of course, the legendary basketball coach at the University of North Carolina, who has since passed on. And I, I just wonder what that time was like for you playing at a storied franchise like North Carolina in the 60s and what basketball was like, what that moment was like, and what Coach Smith was like. Well, those days were uh, fond remembrances for me. Um, basketball was really a big deal even then. And, and Coach Smith was at the nascent of his success. Um, he had recruited a great recruiting class two years before me and then brought in a guy by the name of Charlie Scott in the year uh, before me. And Charlie was an All-American and the first African-American athlete in Chapel Hill. And that was a complete desire of Coach Smith was to integrate the University of North Carolina athletic system. So he purposely brought in Charlie, but he was also a great player. So I was able to be a part of a Final Four team in 1969. And then we won the NIT championship in 1971, back when it was still very prestigious. Um, and I think we saw Coach Smith's career just beginning to get better and better and better. At that time, no one understood that he would be a Hall of Famer, uh, but he certainly became such. Um, you know, Jason, he's passed on, and I'm sure he's with the Lord. I'm absolutely convinced he is because he, he loved him and served him, gave away more money to the poor than we can possibly imagine. He was just a man of great principles. In the book I wrote, It's How You Play the Game, are the 12 leadership principles I learned from him and practiced myself in my own leadership. Um, he influenced my life incredibly. I still use those principles every single day in leadership, and I can't begin to imagine what my life would be like without those years under Coach Smith. And as the years have gone by and we continually have all of these reunions in Chapel Hill and all of the players who played there, I poke out my chest in great pride knowing I played there, uh, but also just thank the good Lord for allowing me the privilege of having a full ride there, but mostly playing under Coach Smith. David, you talked about the principles. Give us a few of those. Maybe I mean I know there's twelve that you wrote about in that book, but give a, a few of give us a few of those principles that you uh, that you feel are just important. Maybe for just our listeners, our audience to to know about and, and how you've instilled them into your life. And maybe even Michael can ch- can chime in on the back end about some of those principles that he's been able to instill in his own life. Sure. Well, the first one would be the team's more important than the individual. 
He emphasized that over and over again. There are things that basketball players do today that they don't even know that it was Coach Smith who introduced those things. Uh, for example, if somebody dives on the floor for a loose ball, you've got to go help that person up. If you don't do it and Coach Smith sees it, the next day the whole team has to run. Hmm. Another one is that when you score a basket, you've got to point to the person who gives you the pass to thank them for giving up their ball to you for you to get the accolades. Coach Smith knew the point guards who sacrificed assists don't get the credit like guys who score do. So he made sure that that was a practice we did. If he saw us not doing that in a game, uh, the next day the team had to run in its entirety. He just knew the importance of doing that kind of thing. And you see that as a part of today's basketball prowess all over the world. You know, people helping guys who drive on the floor for loose balls, guys pointing to people who give them the pass. You know, just recently watching Kevin Durant score several baskets in the NBA Finals. The immediate thing he did was point to the person who gave him the pass. He doesn't know, but Coach Smith was the one who introduced that back in the early 1960s. So those, those, uh, that would be a main one that would come to me. The team's more important than the individual. Uh, another one would be make failure your friend. A lot of people don't realize that Dean Smith was hung in effigy not once but twice by the student body in 1963 because he wasn't winning the games they wanted him to win. Uh, but Coach Smith really realized that failure is not the final word. Failure is simple, simply a way to learn how not to do something. So he gave himself to the Lord anew when that second hanging in effigy occurred. He practiced what he called the prayer of relinquishment. He gave it to the Lord and he said, I'm going to focus on the process of coaching the right way. And I'm going to trust the Lord with the outcome. And that was a turning point for his life. And he taught all of us that when we make a mistake to admit it, you know, own up to it, um, quit it, don't do it again, but then forget it and move on as you've learned your lesson. And that's another chapter in the book that just means a lot to me. And those are biblical principles too, right, Michael, that you can kind of take with you. What did you what did you see here in those principles and being able to instill them into your own life, your own journey, and certainly with swimming? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think acknowledgement is a huge thing as well. For me, you know, there's a certain level of gratitude that I've learned how to kind of instill in, in what I've been doing the more and more, I, the, the, every tier I've kind of reached, it's, it's becoming more apparent just how much of a blessing what, what I am uh, able to do is. Um, you know, it's, it's taking me around the world. Uh, the, the, the fact that I just swim across the pool uh, and how simple that is, is has taken me around the world. And it's just so, it's so um, amazing how God can use something so simple to reach so many different people. Um, so in that sense, I just, you know, I want to make sure I acknowledge everyone who has been on this path with, with me, whether it's a coach or a parent or, um, you know, my wife or, or friends or whoever has been some people on the journey. Um, but not only that, it was also, you know, what you're talking about with, uh, learning from failure. I mean, gosh, that's, that's a, I, I gave a little talk a couple months ago to, um, a group of people about how failure really is, uh, how you, how you learn. And it really is biblical and that God puts us through fire so that we can be reformed and to go forward uh, with new lesson and new sound light. Um, and this has become apparent to me over and over and over again. It's, and especially in a sport like swimming, you really are failing most of the year because you're not rested, you're tired, um, you're not prepared for those, for those little meets. But you do know that you're preparing for the big meet. Um, and what's hard is when that big meet doesn't go the way you want to, there's two ways you can go and you, you can either, uh, you know, let it affect you and, and, and quit, or you can, you know, like my dad said, um, just forget it. 
and, and learn from it and move forward. And that's kind of what I've had to do the past um, few years. And it's funny, we, my dad and I were actually just talking about this. But even last night, I was in Santa Clara, California for a, a Grand Prix. Well, it's the Pro Sim Series now, but I uh, there was a we had a 50 freestyle and there was a shootout. And I was the favorite to win. Uh, I was the top seed. And each 50, it's kind of a shootout style. So it's eight, and then you swim, and it's the four, and you swim, and it's, and it's the bottom two. And I didn't even make it past the top eight because I just thought I was so safe that I kind of took it easy after the first round. Um, and there are all the guys around me are trying their hardest to make it through just the first round, and I, and I missed it. And I missed it by three one-hundredths of a second. And I was pretty embarrassed and um, you know, got up and walked around the pool deck, and people are kind of like, wow, how, how does that happen? And, uh, it took me a few hours, but I realized like, that is a lesson that I'm going to learn for a long time, that you have to be gracious even in those little moments that – I can't take anything for granted. And every single time I get in the water is a blessing. I got to use it to the full, my full ability. David, we're, we're taping this interview, you know, right before Father's Day. It'll be released a couple days before Father's Day, and certainly people will listen to it after Father's Day. But I think it's important. Our audience has a lot of dads listening. So I want you to talk to the dad listening to this podcast that has a son. Maybe they're around 14 or so, maybe even a little younger than Michael and how they can be there for their son, encouraging them, walking them through these next four, next few years, not just as a person and as a man, but maybe through a battle in, in terms of the sports world and what that looks like. Let's just talk to the dads who have kids that are in that teen years and, and what it's been like for you to be a dad, obviously to three kids, not just Michael, and talk to those, encourage them if you would. Well, Jason, what I would say to every dad listening is, First of all, you are called to be your kid's dad, not their coach. Um, I learned that the hard way, but I did learn it. And with David and Michael, especially, who both experienced sports at a high level, when I'm with them, especially after a meet or a game, my job's just to be a dad, to be there, to listen, to care. And if they want to ask me questions about how they swam or how they play basketball, I'll give my input. I'll do it in a loving way, but I know that my primary job is just to be there and listen. And when you get in the car after the meet or the game, your first question should be, how you doing? How's your heart? Not anything to do with the meet or the game or whatever. Just care for your kid. The other thing, Jason, I would say is remember that Jesus in his march toward the cross had two different encounters where he heard the voice of his father in heaven. And that voice said several things. First of all, you are my beloved son, and then you are uh, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he also said in Luke's gospel, um, you are my chosen one. So I would encourage all dads at some point this weekend to say to their kids, especially their teenage kids, when their hearts are so malleable, say to them, you're my kid, and I really love you. And I'm so well pleased with who you are and what you've done. I don't care if you become the greatest swimmer, basketball player in the world. I just care that you become a great human being. And I'm so proud of who you are. And you need to know you're a chosen one. I wanted you. You're not a mistake. You didn't come here by accident. I chose you and your mom and I wanted you to be a part of our lives. And we love you so much. 
Our love's not based on your performance. It's based unconditionally on just who you are as our child. And just know I'm always going to be here for you. And if a dad could say that to his kid, it is the hunger of his or her heart. They want to hear that more than anything else from their dad. And when it's said, and I think even repeatedly, because even Jesus needed to hear it a couple of times on his way to the cross, it encourages a heart. It heals a heart. It makes a kid feel like they're worth something that will last for their entire lives. That's really good. Michael, I'm going to let you take over here and just let us know, tell our audience what your dad has meant to you along this journey. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to put in the word exactly. Um, but you know, this journey that I've been on has luckily been kind of modeled out for me by, by my dad. And, you know, it's very, it's very, very uh, special to have a father who has had an athletic career Right, like what he has, you know. I remember, remember growing up and uh, being just so amazed by uh, hearing stories about when he played for for Dean Smith and um, what it was like to play for UNC and um, and play overseas. And he played overseas for a few years and in France. And I remember when we even went over to France and got to see where he played a little bit and just having that come to life. And you know, uh, being being a aspiring athlete, it was it was just so special to see that. Um, he's done it and uh, that he like that, you know, I'm his son and like, I have that same talent. It's just, even if it's not in basketball, it's in something. Um, so that was really special to have a sports side of it. But on the other side of that, you just have this man of character who has instilled in me uh, the values of what it's like to be, um, you know, first off a man of God and a, and a, and a, and a strong husband. And then, and then what it's like to, be a Christian athlete, which is is, is, a, is a harder thing nowadays than um, it really should be. But you know, in a, in a sport sports world where there's so much fame and there's so much uh, attention put on the individual, and it's almost like this, um, I, they're, they're so idolized nowadays that you, it, there's a certain level of humility that my father showed me early on that I just wanted to keep um, even now, and, and I want to keep going forward. And so I was, I was really really thankful for that. Um, but you know, I think I think the most important thing that I, I really want to say, like to 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 my dad, is just, it's just thank you for being there and, and not making it always about my sport. Like we, we yes, we talk about swimming, we talk about that, but I mean, when he says that's the first thing we talk about, I mean, it's true. It's it's not how the sport is or how I'm affecting the sport. It's how the sport is affecting me. And uh, first and foremost, that has to be the most important thing. Uh, to, to the father-son relationship. Uh, you can't be centered around the, the sport. It, it just can't. Um, and so I think what's going to be exciting is, you know, when I walk away from the sport, you know, whenever that's going to be, um, I'm going to have these life lessons that uh, I can continue to, to use and just uh, continue to talk about with my dad. Um, and it's not going to change anything. And I think that's, that's a really important thing. So, um, yes. And, uh, and also with the leadership aspect, you know, watching him lead the church for all those years, I can remember going into the University of Missouri and, just wanting to lead and wanting to lead and be a, and be a captain. And I, I was going captain uh, my junior and my senior year. And I, and I, and I almost, I remember asking my dad questions about certain things, just like, how do I do this? I mean, one of the swimmers did this. How can I um, respond to it? My coach is acting this way. How should I respond? And just having a resource like that, um, is, I'm just really, really thankful to have that. So, um, yeah, thank you, Dad. Well, thank you, son, and I am honored to be your dad. Um, you came to your mom and me as a total surprise. We thought we were done. 
and I was a little bit older, but you helped keep me young. And you just need to know how proud I am of you. Uh, you are an incredible son. You've honored me with your faith, um, with your life, and the way you're loving your wife, Cassie, now. Um, I'm so proud of you. Uh, yeah, with your swimming and athletic prowess, that's something. But I'm much more proud of who you are as a person. And I love who you've become. I wanted you so desperately, even though I didn't think you were going to come. And you truly are a gift to our family. You've enriched mom and me. And we are so thankful that God gave you to us. I can't imagine a better son, except maybe your brother. Both of you are just great. And I love <laughs> you both so much with your sister, Bethany. And I am honored to be your dad. And I hope I've somehow modeled for you the faith that is so real to me, because I really believe faith's more caught than taught. And I hope you've seen me live out my faith much more than any words that I've spoken to you. Absolutely. Yeah. This, is really, this has been great. Uh, David Chadwick, pastor of Forest Hill Church in North Carolina, played college basketball at University of North Carolina, of course, under Dean Smith. Michael Chadwick, his son, Team USA swimmer, four years at the University of Missouri, 22 All-America honors. And hopefully we're going to be booking some flights and some tickets for Tokyo in 2020. And we'll see Michael out there glorifying the Lord through swimming. Appreciate both of you guys joining us on the podcast. This has been a treat. And uh, happy, first of all, happy Father's Day to you, David, and wish you guys both nothing but the best. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, David. Thank you, yeah. Jason. Thank you. Great being with you. Love you, Michael. Yeah, love you too. Thank you, guys. And we do thank Michael Chadwick, Team USA swimmer, and his father, David Chadwick, the pastor of Forest Hill Church, and of course, basketball player for the legendary Dean Smith at the University of North Carolina. We thank Mike, Michael and David for joining us here on the podcast. Grateful for them. I really love this interview. I did. It was one of the first that we've done where we had uh, you know, a dad and his son on together. And you could tell they were on via phone. I would have loved to do it in person. And maybe next time we have them on, maybe if Michael qualifies, I'll take a trip out to wherever they are and try to interview both of them. Because I just think they're you can tell their bond is is a pretty strong one, and I loved what David said and related to him as a dad. I'm a dad of a 14 year old daughter, Sarah, and um, I just love my daughter so much, and I'm so grateful to be a dad, especially around this weekend coming up. That's Father's Day weekend, and just having the privilege to call myself dad uh, is so cool. And I know David; I could sense that with him, with not only Michael but his other two kids as well, and just having the privilege to be called dad. And the responsibility that comes with that and taking that seriously. I loved what David said about encouraging the dads out there to just be with their kids. I love when he said, uh, where was it? The, the definition of kids spelling love is T-I-M-E, time. I thought that was really powerful. Uh, I love that he talked about presence, not presence, P-R-S-E-N-C-E, the presence of being around your child versus the presence that you give your child. Your child will always value the time that you spend with them more than anything you ever give them. And I loved what he said at the end about being called uh, to be their dad's, or their kid's dad, being called to be their kid's dad and not their coach. Uh, so powerful. So many of us watch our kids, and I know I watch my daughter play softball, and I get caught up wanting to coach her because I always jokingly tell her that nobody knows sports more than your dad, Sarah. But he's right. David is right. I got to remember that when I'm not coaching her, because I do coach her on her softball team too, but that I'm just her dad. 
and that I'm there for her and that I love her and that if she wants to confide in me or ask me questions about something that I can choose to answer those questions. But bottom line is I'm her dad. And that's all I need to do is be there for her and love her. So really good stuff from David Chadwick and his son, Michael Chadwick. We wish both of them nothing but the best and thankful for them for being here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. We're also thankful to Compassion International partnering with us on this podcast for $38 a month. You, you the listener, can make a gigantic impact on a child's life. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum Sponsor a child today for $38. I promise you, you will not regret it. Sponsor a child today in Jesus' name. Go to Compassion.com slash SportsSpectrum and provide food, clothing, the opportunity to have medical care, education, training, vocational training, the opportunity to know Christ. That's the most important thing. Your $38 goes right to that child and the opportunity to have all those things. Releasing a child from poverty. You can do that by going to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Thanks so much for joining us here in the podcast. You can email me, Jason at SportsSpectrum.com. You can email me directly. Let us know what you thought of this podcast. You can also leave a review. If you liked what you heard, please tell someone about it on your social media feeds and leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out. It's so vital to people hearing these stories of sports and faith. Go leave a review on iTunes. That would be amazing. We would be so grateful for that. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time right here on Sports Spectrum. Have a great day.